Welcome to The Real Deal Conversations, a podcast produced and recorded by In The Box Digital Recording. And now your host, Megan Deal. I'm with Seth Hamilton today. It's my brother. He is one year older than me, and he has lived this crazy life, but it all starts from a certain point. And the the thing about him that is so fascinating to me is he has Asperger's. And so a lot of the things that he does is not in the spectrum of what he should be capable of doing. And that's just really the power of God acting. And First and foremost, I want to say thank you for saying Asperger's and yeah. not Asperger's. Yeah. Um, yeah. That really gets on my nerves. <laughs> um, yeah. This story I want to get into is Seth. Growing up, and you're going to hear a little more later about this, but it was not easy. He was actually undiagnosed, which made it harder. And then he got to a point where he was just straight atheist. And we went to church. He was in youth group, but still atheist. No, and I had been baptized in the whole nine yards. But with Asperger's syndrome, there was just a lot of issues with social communication. And you can attest to this better than just about anybody because you watched it as I grew up. Like I couldn't clap without looking at my hands. I would run with my arms glued to my sides. It was just very socially awkward. Even to develop a sense of humor, I had to study comedy like a school subject, you know. But what's cool about what he just said, couldn't clap without looking. And to hear later in the story, what he does It's only God. So let's talk atheism. What did that look like? How did you find Jesus? So again, as you had mentioned, we grew up in a Christian household. I was around church, but whenever I was going through middle school, I was being picked on incessantly and I would come home crying. I was intellectually very gifted. I had won the school spelling bee, the geography bee. I was the captain of the scholar bowl team. In kindergarten, he could tell you every state and its capital. Which I could probably give you every capital of the countries in the world, later on that is. But those were the things that you would expect somebody with Asperger's to be good at. But the social lack of awareness was such a difficulty. And I would come home crying and become really depressed. I would attempt suicide a number of times. And I just would pray out daily, God, please release me from this. Please make them stop. And... In spite of that, nothing would ever happen. And now that I've grown and matured and I've lived out so much life, uh, I see how that was building towards something bigger, you know, a testimony to reach a lot of kids who later on I would find struggling with a lot of the same things. But is that why you decided there was no God? That's precisely it. If he wasn't answering my prayers, then he must not have been there. And there was a resentment with that. Also, the way that I saw Christians versus what they were preaching. I would see a lot of things that I would see as hypocrisy, people who would be mean-spirited within the pews, where they were there 
more to compare church clothes than they were to worship God. In our humanity, we have all misrepresented Jesus. So I'm not saying this under an umbrella, but I do say a lot, Jesus didn't give himself a bad name. Christians did. There's a quote from Mahatma Gandhi where he was living in South Africa and there was apartheid and discrimination, but the people who were portraying the discrimination against him and the black Africans, they would say that they were Christians. They would use the name of Jesus constantly. And Gandhi said, I love your Christ, but I don't love your Christians. And that was sum up a lot of how I felt towards Christians. And I didn't even realize that a lot of my anger, not just towards them, but towards God for not answering my prayers, which I was a teenager. I didn't have that long view yet. And even then I'm still developing it. But my anger towards God for not answering and towards what I had seen in Christians, I had found that I was pushing that on to him. And That's what caused me to rebel and to drive further away from Christianity. I remember there was so many people. I mean, family, everybody was praying for you. Everybody was doing everything they could to get you out of atheism, and it just did not work. And with Asperger's, you have a drive to learn. And for you, you wanted to learn all these languages, which you do. You speak how many fluently? Uh, Four. Yeah, four, but you know... Hablo espanol, je parle français, eu falo português, escana en bisin, deutschsprache, jaguari paruski... Uh, I can speak a lot of languages. Yeah. So there was a day that our grandpa asked you to go on a mission trip. That's actually not how it happened. Really? No. Okay. So I had no idea that he was involved in that Oh. for quite some time. Okay. So to backtrack, uh-huh. after high school, I had went through being hospitalized right. for depression, suicidality. I had been kicked out of the house a couple of times, and I had been on one mission trip, which I'll discuss a little later with Daryl, but I would go on to study languages in Guatemala and in France, and I was given an opportunity to go work as a bartender in the Southern Alps of France by somebody who I had met in language school in Guatemala. And I had basically two options. I could have pursued Russian for a job with the military as a linguist, or I could have pursued French to go after this job. And I was like, well, it's a job in a ski lodge and I'm going to go and drink and party and do all these things. And I ended up getting the job after I went to school in France. My French was strong enough. I had to do my interviews at three o'clock in the morning due to the time zone difference and in French. And it was the top pick out of 500 people from 22 different countries. But This is in 2008, during the global economic crisis that would come up in that time. And I ended up getting the job. I was supposed to fly there on November 18th of 2008, and they denied my visa. So I was really depressed. And I was like, I just lost my big adventure. But then I would get a call from the Nice Foundation, and they said they needed a translator because they had acquired a lot of new schools and sites that they were serving in Nicaragua. And I was like, well, I'll go. 
That's yeah. free trip. Right. And so I went down there and I ended up touching down in Managua, the capital, on November 18th of 2008, the same day I was supposed to touch down in France. Wow. So, I mean, you could see where God had just given me the detour. Yeah. And whenever I went on that trip, it was such a healing experience for me because I saw Christians who were backing up what they preached wow. and they were preaching more through action. So seeing a halfway house for women who were arrested from sex trafficking a number of churches that were serving in a dump, a literal landfill. There's a community that lives there. And I mean, just really being the hands and feet of Jesus. Right. So on this trip, is this the trip you sat on a bench and it all changed? So no, it's again, it's a process, but this uh-huh. is where I began to look at myself as a Christian. Again, yeah. I called myself Christian. It was in name. And I still had to make that reconnection with God where I can see in retrospect that he was constantly calling me back to him through a number of people. That's so good. And I was just He's like that though. He's so detailed and he's always there. And a lot of people say, where was God in my need? And you look back and you see so many times, but because we're not aware and our understanding to know that was him in that moment. And then you look back and it's just so good. And a lot of times it's out of stubbornness. Yeah. Because you're so into your feelings, your resentment, your frustration, your anger, your sadness, that you don't see God Mm -hmm. and how he is in love, either through circumstances or through people reaching out to help you resolve your pain or just to give you that thing that you need to keep going forward. Because one of the things I came to find actually while I was in the hospital, Mm -hmm. I remember I was so focused on all the things that I thought were awful in my life. And we had to make a memory necklace. So you would take these beads and each bead represented a memory. And I remember like I had a long string that represented somebody that died or a suicide attempt or something like that. And at the end, They asked me to look at my necklace and tell what I thought. And I said, well, I think it's a beautiful necklace. And they said, well, so are you as a person. Because every triumph and tragedy that you have been through came together to make you who you are, which is a beautiful person. That's the way God acts in our lives. All of those form you and who you are, and you need to honor everything that has happened because that's what's brought you to who you are and where you are and how God is going to use you. Yeah. Well, and there's so much more we can get into and there's so much detail. Everybody always says you need to write a book, but let's get into the moment it all changed for you. You saw things differently. You understood things differently and you went into, I want to serve. So when I got back from Nicaragua, I knew that's what I wanted to do. I was actually trying to write a book at that time, but I realized I wanted to be on the front line to make a difference. And I went into East St. Louis because I remember I talked to dad and I was like, I really want to do something. I've got, I can speak languages. I had a martial arts background because I was getting picked on and dad made me do Taekwondo. And I had those skills. I wanted to take that and serve somewhere. And he showed me this place in East St. Louis, the Christian Activity Center, where I would get started teaching those classes. And whenever I went in there, I told them what I wanted to do. They said they wanted to have me there, but you have to be a Christian to serve here because it's a Christian organization. I lied that I wasn't. And I just remember the same thing. 
I would go in and I would repent afterwards because I could see how God had a purpose in my life, that all of the things that I considered to be brokenness and pain, they were going to mean something. My very first day there, and I tell this story, and Ariel, uh, if you ever hear this, I'm very sorry. I know I put this out a lot. She's my very first student. She's actually going to be my very first employee in the organization now. And she's married to one of my other first students, but she tried stealing my car my first day. She's going to take over and begin teaching yeah. in an after-school program. So we're expanding within our community. How cool is that, though? And just, I mean, redemption and who you are now doesn't have to be here tomorrow. No. That's so awesome. Because we're always in a process. Yes. And that's why when you say if it's a single moment, it really never is. Right. It's a collection of experiences. So anyway, I remember from that, and then shortly after teaching my first Spanish class where I had Ariel, another girl, and then two boys. One of the boys had already broken my glasses because I went to do a jujitsu class for the first time and he grabbed my head and slammed my face down and broke my glasses. And again, these kids come over to my house for Christmas and for Thanksgiving. And it's, I call them kids, but they're all like 30 now, which makes me feel old. But one of them would come behind me during the Spanish class. He got me in a chokehold while another started throwing pencils at my face. They're trying to test me to see if they can run me off. And... I realized I needed to dig my heels in and I realized what my purpose was, was to go into this community and to serve these kids, to work with them, to develop skills, to really see them the way that God sees them. Yeah. And so you spend some time at this CAC, which is the Christian Activity Center, but then we have a change where you go to Nicaragua. Yeah. I would feel the need to start going abroad. And I always felt like I needed to go back to Nicaragua. And anytime I would try and go somewhere else, I tried going to Haiti twice. The trips got shut down and I would end up back in Nicaragua again. And after I had traveled there a number of times over a couple of years, I really felt that God was calling me to to go there. And it wasn't a matter of, I'm just going to leave East St. Louis behind because I would maintain my relationships with those kids. You know, we had done our first trip with them where Ariel, who I had mentioned, and her now husband, DJ, were the first kids we went to South Africa and served. But shortly after, I just really felt it in my heart that that was where I needed to be. And I needed to come up with $15,000. And I was like, God, how am I going to do this? And I'm supposed to do this and I'm supposed to leave next month. And it just came out. Like I wrote people and I got a response and I ended up with actually 27,000. Wow. That's him though. And that's a really good example of stepping into faith and not saying, I'll do this when you show me the possibilities and how it's going to happen. It's just, I know you're telling me, I know you're calling me, I know you're leading me. So I'm going to put it into action and trust that it's going to all fall together. Exactly. Well, one of the things mom always used to say, because we had some friends at the time when we lived in New Baden, I mean, it was a kind of like poor area. And one of our friends, Kyle, he had said that his family was praying about whether or not they should go to Florida. And I had responded, my parents would say, well, let's just go and pray on the way. Yes. And that's really what it's stepping out into faith is. It's like, you're just going to go and you're going to trust God to put all the pieces together as you go. doesn't mean you don't plan and you don't learn from your mistakes. You do, but 
really stepping out into faith means you just try it. it. You go after it. Yes. No, I 100% agree. So let's talk about Nicaragua. You moved to Nicaragua and you think you're going to be a missionary. You think you're going to be a youth pastor and you're not. What did you become? A week after I got there, I ended up cornering somebody in an MMA fight. And so all the time that I had spent doing Brazilian jiu-jitsu and taekwondo in East St. Louis, it ended up coming forward. I got connected to people who did boxing and Muay Thai and wrestling, and I ended up forming a gym. And that was my way to get kids who were on the street active in something, because everybody loves to fight, right. you know, especially kids coming off the street. Because he would fight and he would be on TV. And so kids kids in the street would see him and be like, teach me something. And he would say, you come to church and I'll teach you something after. You would teach the class and at the end of it, we would sit down and there's a devotional. And yeah. it's really easy to do a reflection of the things that you're learning in the midst of a fight. And to see in that moment what it is that they've learned and to let God move through that, to connect it to his word. You would use MMA and people seeing you as a way to witness. To, exactly, and to bring people in. Right. And it wasn't just in Nicaragua at that point, because once I started fighting, promoters would pay for me to go to their countries in the region. And I would meet people from across Latin America. I would talk to them, we would network, and often they would connect me to a church or some service project in that area. And this is awesome because Seth has Asperger's, couldn't clap without looking, couldn't run normal. The physicalities were just not there. And so he went from that to an MMA fighter who travels the world fighting. And I was good at it. Yeah. I was winning my fights. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, that's something that requires a lot of coordination because mixed martial arts is a number of sports. I have to do weightlifting, running, biking, swimming. I have to do boxing, kickboxing, jujitsu, wrestling, all of these things that require an immense amount of physical intelligence and kinesthetic learning capability, which I did not have as a kid growing up. I was, I had to see an occupational therapist to work on my coordination. My, our mom had to sit down and draw things out and have me color them in and work on my handwriting because it was... I remember that. This is a really good understanding. What you were born with is not your handicap. No. You are gifted. It is not a handicap. This is a perfect example. You don't have to look at it and say, well... I guess I'm going to give up and not even try. No. And we were talking about 2 Corinthians 11 a couple of weeks ago on the phone with the super apostles and Paul. And Paul bragged about his weaknesses, how many times he had been shipwrecked and all of the difficulties that he had been through, how many times he'd been jailed. And he did that because it edifies God. It's not by his power, Paul's power, that is, but God's power that he can develop and give testimony and it's accomplish so the true. great things. It's so true. In Nicaragua, there was a time that you were robbed at knife point. And this was the perfect opportunity for you to go kill someone. It's not what happened. What happened? I was walking up. It's a dirt road. There's a garbage river on my right side and a dump on the left. And this is the community I'm walking into where I taught every day. And we were going to a kickboxing tournament. I had a backpack with two gallons of water. He bumped my hips off. Well, before I get there, there's a kid walking towards me. And I say, buenos dias, good morning. Like all happy and 
Uh, Unsuspecting. Yeah, exactly. And he, <laughs> he just looks at me and he nods his head uh -huh. like that. And I'm like, oh, he's saying, hey, back. <laughs> he's nodding to the guy behind me with the knife. Right. Who bumps my hips forward and pulls me off balance and then sticks a knife right up to the side of my neck, cuts right to here behind my, my carotid artery and says, no te movas o te mato. Don't move or I'll kill you. And I'm like, oh, I'm not moving. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought at that time, because right. when this happened, this is before I had moved to Nicaragua. This is where I had spent three months there, but I still had all my students in East St. Louis and I had all my students in Nicaragua. I thought about you guys, my family, when I'm like, I don't want to die. So they just take all my stuff. They grab my backpack, my money, my phone, my wallet, and they walk off nonchalantly. And I see these two and I'm like, oh, I'm going to kill them. <laughs> and I started sprinting after them. They saw me. They had this look of like, oh, crap. They dropped up my backpack. They ran off into the little garbage river. I ran in after them and they disappeared into the tin shack ghetto of the neighborhood. And what happens next is only God's detail. And let, so and I go in and somebody stops me. She runs a corner store and she says, don't go after them. Here are their names because you don't know how many people are waiting for you with, with weapons on the other side. So... I go to the police station. They don't do anything. The next day I go back because all my kids are at a kickboxing tournament waiting on me. And as soon as they see me, they say, hey, profe, what happened? And I was like, do you guys see this? And I've got like a gash on my neck. And they're like, what was that? And I was like, this kid did this, this, and this. And then suddenly they start raising their hands. They're like, he robbed me. He robbed my parents, did all these things. And this little girl comes up to me. And she says, that's my older brother, one of my English students who's seven. It's the age of my child right now, yeah. Noah. And his cousins come forward and they tell me his mother is a single mom, a drug addict, and a prostitute. And she would send him to the streets when he was little to beg for money. And if he didn't come home with enough, then she would lock him out and he'd have to sleep in the streets. So he joined the gang for safety and security, started robbing to get the money so he could get back into his house and feel accepted by his mom. And my heart changed. And it took eight months of pursuing him. I realized what God's mission was. And pursuing him not to kill him. But to see him saved. And as I heard these stories coming in from my kids, I wanted to kill him. That's the visceral reaction. I don't carry a gun. I live in a dangerous neighborhood and have been all over, but I don't because I don't believe in killing people, but because I've seen what God does on the other end through forgiveness. So this kid, I would pursue him. He'd say I was an idiot and all these other things. And eventually I finally found him. I had gotten to know his family and everything. We went out to have lunch. We built up a really close friendship. And then whenever I was trying to do my youth pastor role or fulfill it there, my first service got shut down because there was a shootout. And his gang was one of the gangs that was involved. So my service got shut down for safety. And a few months later, I was asked to go preach on Father's Day about how to honor your father if he was abusive or if he was never there. So I prepare this sermon. I go through the neighborhood. I gather all the kids up. I say, come on down. And at the end of the street is this kid and his gang. They're all smoking weed. They're drinking. They've got bandages from being cut up. And I'm like, do you guys want to come to church? <laughs> and they go, no. And by the time I get back to the church, none of the kids had showed up. And there was a guy who had taken my spot and already began preaching. I was really frustrated. I was like, God, why did I prepare this message 
for this to happen. And he, I heard it in my heart. If they won't come to church, take the church to them. That's so good. One of the kids came with me and we both walked down there together. And I said to the gang, I was like, I got a message if you guys want to hear it. And they said, yes. Yeah. And I sat out there in a dirt road with this gang who are drinking and smoking. And I gave my sermon. And at the end of it, there was one guy who was super wasted and he looks over and he goes, <laughs> and then everybody goes, Shh. I watched them all quiet him down because they were so invested and I could see where God really wanted me and why it set all this up. And the person who was my inroad was this kid who tried to cut my throat, you know, who I wanted to kill. And if I would have pursued it in my flesh to go after him in my anger, I would have been in prison. I would have never accomplished anything. And what happened next was... They would invite me back and I would go every Wednesday morning to preach to them. The next week they had a chair for me. We built this relationship. And one day I got there and they weren't there anymore. I had already heard they started getting involved in church from people in the neighborhood. And I went to the same lady for them, the corner store at the very beginning who I ran to and she warned me not to go there. And she said, they've all gotten jobs. And so from robbing and terrorizing the neighborhood, God built relationships and restored everything. That's incredible. The details of God really blows my mind. When you guys have a hiccup in something like a detour or a pivot and you're frustrated, why is this happening? Trust it. Know that God's going to use it on the other side yes. to bless somebody else. Yes, so true. So that's Nicaragua. We go back to East St. Louis. And what starts in East St. Louis now? So I go back. Now I've got a lot more skills, a lot more knowledge. I've learned how to run businesses while I was in Central America. I've got a fighting career. So I take the same things that I was doing before, the things I've added on in Nicaragua, which I, I have a school there still that's run by the teenagers that started going, well, now they're in their 20s. But my students now run the school there. They actually have three businesses themselves to sustain themselves. But going back into East St. Louis, I felt the need and the burden to take these things and to implement them with the kids I had worked with previously and in the community I had worked with because of the need and just the brokenness that I would see. But knowing how powerful and strong the people in the community are and how capable they are. So we were looking to do our first mission trip which I say mission trip, but I mean, I consider myself a faith-based humanitarian. Missionary, I know that's what people use in churches, but around the world, unfortunately, has a bad rap. But that's really what we do. We try and enact the gospel through teaching marketable skills in impoverished communities to help them to flourish better. And you have taken kids at the Christian Activity Center and taught them business skills, how to run a business, how to use the finances. Mm -hmm. We do financial literacy working with the Federal Reserve. Mm -hmm. We've had two kids who have been on the student board of directors. I've got one of my kids that's currently be trained by them to be a data analyst. I've got kids that are now software engineers. One of them has come back to teach coding. My kids run four businesses. They started off with a snack shop, then a jewelry business. And all of that was to fund their trips abroad where they make connections with people where they now import their goods from eight countries in Africa and seven in Latin America. So my kids are doing international commerce. They 
then took the money, raising the capital themselves, and created an urban farm where they produce 3,000 pounds of food that they sell all across the St. Louis area. And what's the age ranges of these kids? 10 to 18. Okay. So what is Go International? What are you doing? Why is it so valuable? So it's the same thing. Most missions, they focus on the poverty and taking pictures of poor people to say, these guys need stuff. We focus not on their brokenness, but on their capability, because that's what makes something truly sustainable and getting the skills and resources into their hand and developing local leadership because they can reach their community better than we can. So we try and empower leadership through, like I said, self-sustainability and teaching marketable skills in entrepreneurship, education, and athletics. We have partnerships in countries across Africa and Latin America. We're headquartered out of East St. Louis, but they're really the epicenter and the example that we're trying to set for all the other communities we work with. But that's essentially it, is teaching them things that they can use to make a better living, build up their community, and in the midst of that, transmit the gospel. Kids who have gone through the program under this leadership and what you're doing programming they're at the federal reserve kids fly planes i I actually have one who's doing his test flight i'm going to be flying with him while he gets his pilot's license yeah these kids are going from very very broken communities and understanding they are capable of everything our organization is go international because the great commission go unto all the nations applies to them just Mm -hmm. like anybody else. Yes. If people want to get involved, if they want to support Go International, what would they be supporting in doing that? Fostering leadership in these communities, not only from a humanitarian's perspective to better their lives and better their communities, but to use that as our platform to share what Jesus's message is. And we've had an impact where we've trained for financial literacy to reach 5,000 kids in East St. Louis. We've worked with thousands of people all around the world. There's a really big impact for a very low cost. So we will put the links. It is Go International. You can find him on go-int.org. Okay. And we will also have all of that available to you if you want to support that. I'm not just saying it as his sister. It really is an incredible organization. Thank you. Yes. And I I love you. I love you. Too. I I know you well. I know. And Megan, <laughs> I gotta say real quick, yeah. I'm just really proud of you. Just seeing you step out and yeah. really Come into your own through this. You do such a wonderful job. I'm so proud of you. Oh, thank you. You're welcome. I love that. All right, Seth, I will talk with you soon. I love you. Thank you for coming on. That's all we got. (laughs) 